Indeed, God now does speak to us through his Son, and so we listen to the Son of God, Christ Jesus our Lord, from his word this morning in our gospel reading from the gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 25 in the 31st verse. I invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then... The righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the kingdom will answer them. The king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then also will answer, uh, they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, you did it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Years ago, now over 15, now over 15 years ago, time flies, I read a book by Lauren Sandler. It was entitled Righteous Dispatches from the Evangelical Youth Movement. Now, it was not a a cheerleading book like you'd think in celebrating the evangelical youth movement. In fact, uh, Sandler is an atheist, and she was trying to rally uh, fellow atheists to rally against this onslaught of an oncoming generation of youth who are Christians. She wrote despairingly of Christians, and to do her research... Uh, she 
took on the hardship of hanging out with Christians for several months. And in this book, whose conclusion was about battling us Christians, and this, what she called, disciple generation that she was really worried about, uh, she couldn't help, as I read in one account of the book, be surprised and even in awe when she was at and with a body of Christ up in the Seattle area as part of her journey all over the country. And she was shocked when this young family needed a new fence. And almost it seemed to her without notice, other families from the church descended upon this young family's home and with their own resources, and just hours that day, built a fence in their backyard for this young, sweet family. And she couldn't believe and was in awe of the generosity and the love and the community. And despite herself, she had to speak good about these people of God, these young Christians. Friends, this is the picture that we get in Matthew 25 today. The famous parable, it's a, it's a future vision of what is to come when the king comes to judge. A vision that I read from Jesus in this Gospel of Matthew is a vision for what life looks like for those under Jesus the king. Now, scholars agree it's in particularly written, as in the story I just told you about, it's in particularly written about how believers, the body of Christ, are to treat one another. But of course, it doesn't have to be considered exclusive. We can apply that love and should and are called to, as we hear explicitly throughout the rest of Scripture, to share that same kind of love with those who we call our neighbor, just as Jesus commanded. But before we dig in even further to this vision, this parable, now, I don't want to lose sight of the central message that Jesus is getting across to us. Now, I'm not going to get into the debate the pastors and scholars have gotten into through the years. Parables, uh, some say, only have one meaning and one truth. And then some will say, well, no, they're allegorical. And you can see all kinds of things that Jesus is teaching us. We're not going to go into that debate today. But we also won't miss the central message of this parable. And that is simply this. It comes across over and over again in various ways. Christ Jesus is King. He is the Lord of the universe. And to help us recognize this, I, I want to uh, hop into a little 
syllogism here, right? If Christ is king, then this will be true. Let's, let's take a look and examine this truth. If Christ is king, then the natural world will be ordered. If Christ is king, as, as the Gospel of John reminds us, the, the word was there from the very beginning. Christ was there from the very beginning. If Christ is king, then, then the, the world that we live in would be ordered. And of course, when you look at our ecosystems, any scientist will tell you of the ordered structure of the system that we live in. And if Christ is king, then this king would have the ability to discern every human heart. As we hear he does in this parable. Discerning actions that folks weren't even aware of. (laughs) But not just the king, but then of course... The word made flesh. His word should be able to discern our heart. And isn't it true also? If Christ is king, then the word will also do this. And the word does read us. It diagnoses the condition of the human heart so perfectly. It's one of the ways in in my walk in Christ that I am affirmed by the absolute truth of the word as it diagnoses the truth of my own heart. And it does that for all all of humanity. Now, if Christ is king, then those who received this word and believed this word, as we learned about from John 3.16 last week, then they will be changed. And if Christ is king, as we hear in this parable, then daily life, even the most mundane, menial tasks... can glorify God. Luther would famously talk about the boot maker glorifying God as he makes his boots. University of Southern California philosopher and professor, the late Dallas Willard wrote in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, if we confine our discipleship uh, to when we're off, during our off hours, what a waste of time, what a waste of life. All those hours during the day, 8 to 12 or more hours a day, that we are called to glorify God. If Christ is king, then the, the tasks of our daily vocation, whether it's as a financial planner or a teacher or a plumber or a stay-at-home parent, whatever God is calling you to do in today's daily task. This is the place where Christ is Lord and God can be glorified. If Christ is king, then everything about our lives changes. Before we go any further, let me just take a moment and make sure we get the order right. 
right? Because we can't do this syllogism backwards. If we do it backwards, then we make ourselves out to be king. Let me tell you what I mean. If I think that I'm going to do all these good things and look at this as a, a checklist for Matthew 25 so that I'm not on the naughty list and I get the good stuff, right? If I look at it like that, then I'm reading it backwards and I'm making myself out to be king. Therefore, I make myself to be my own savior. Or if I'm just simply doing it to please God, God who can discern my heart, right? Knows my selfish <laughs> motivations to just get the good stuff once again, right? Notice both the sheep and the goat had no idea what they were doing. No idea. When did we see you? They asked the same question. If Christ is king, then our hearts will be changed. If Christ is king, then change happens in our lives. That question, when do we see you? This if then only happens when Christ transforms our attitude and how we think about the world and how we think about our neighbor. It's not that the sheep or the goats couldn't do good and righteous works. It's about the position of their heart and who was Lord. Remember the central message of this parable most certainly is that Christ is king. And we definitely can draw on this vision of what it looks like in the world about how to love others. But it all comes back to who's in charge and it's not me and it's not you. It's Christ Jesus our Lord who discerns our hearts, who judges the world. And by the way, in all the ways that we like to disagree in our divided world this day, when you stand before the judge, you will not disagree with his judgment. In this vision, whether you look at it as one scholar put it, as quantitative or qualitative, either way, you got to know that when Christ the King, the, the Lord of the universe, when you are, your heart is following Him, you experience the amazing gift of heaven. And without it, we suffer the punishment of hell. The parables about the future, our future of humanity, of the world, and what it looks like when Christ is finally ruling. Not unlike when your parents, when you were a kid, head out of the house and leave you there alone. And they come home unexpectedly. How will they find you? Will they find you up to mischief and no good? Or will they find you doing the will of your parents? This is the picture that we get. And though I'll talk about this more in just a moment, 
This parable does talk about the behavior of the sheep and the goats to be sure, but all for the sake of pointing us back to Christ the King. That this is what his kingdom looks like. This is the kind of fruit that comes from his kingdom of how we treat one another and how we love our neighbor. And if you discern, as I read and as we heard this text read over our hearts today, that you have fallen short, and I know it's true for me, then the call is repentance. To return in every corner of our lives to allow Christ to be Lord of our hearts. This is the call. One commentator put it like this, this picture that he's given us. The cosmic Lord of creation, hungry, naked, sick, it is as incomprehensible as the incarnation that we're about to celebrate this Advent and Christmas. As Emmanuel, God with us, it's incom- is as incomprehensible as the crucifixion. The living God without life. Friends, he doesn't need it. Our neighbor does. And our hearts are changed in our daily vocations, then bless our neighbor. This passage also is not a blueprint for how to do this. So often we get into this text and we argue over it. Is it conservative? Is it liberal? No, it's kingdom-minded. Christ's kingdom-minded. And whatever your daily vocation may be, that's the place where God is inviting you to allow Christ to be Lord, to be king of every corner. And this parable of judgment, and I don't want to take anything away from it, it sometimes causes us to shudder, reminds us to come receiving the gift of faith, A faith that, as James will say, without works is dead. And so it has most certainly eternal consequences. But this, like we learned last week, the king of the world, the king of the cosmos, loves those who are against him and is for us and wants to transform our hearts so the fruit of our hearts looks like this. Are there places in the corner of your hearts that still need Christ to be king, that you need to be led to repentance? I know it's certainly true for me. As I come to a close, let me share this story from one of my uh, all-time, for years it was one of my favorite books. I haven't read it, and I picked it up again this week. It's written by, it's called Dangerous Wonder by a a youth ministry uh, guru by the name of Mike Iaconelli. He's since gone to God in glory, but he writes, living in Northern California, about uh, then just two years old, but now many years since, 
a Billy Graham crusade that was happening in Sacramento. And he talks about the choir rehearsal on the night before the crusade was to begin going long late into the night, preparing for what was to take place. And one of those choir members, uh, she hopped in her car late at night there in uh, downtown, it seems, of Sacramento. And as she was leaving, she noticed on the streets there in Sacramento on that cold night that there was a man slumped over, a homeless man, that she looked to her to be in distress. And so she felt like she couldn't just drive by. And so she stopped to see if there was anything she could do to help. And as she got out of her car to check on this man, she quickly realized it was not a homeless man after all. It was... Billy Graham knelt on the streets of Sacramento praying for the city in advance of the crusade. Billy knew it wasn't his namesake. It wasn't his famous notoriety. It wasn't his gift of preaching that would transform hearts. And so, in the quietness of that cold night, he prayed for the city of Sacramento because he knew only Christ the King could do that. This story isn't just about the character of Billy. It's about doing what he did with his life, pointing back to Christ the King. So if Christ is the King, one more syllogism. If Christ is the king, and he is, then I ask you again, what corner of your heart does he need to rule? Is it morality? Is it in your workplace, in your family, maybe even in your politics? Is it your attitude? Is it mine? Is it ours? You don't just let Christ be king because guess what? He already is. But when you receive that gift of faith and you live as Christ is king, we receive it, we we repent, and we truly live in a vision that Christ has given us that's beautiful and glorious and daily and loving. This is the vision for life that we have as Christians and that Jesus has for the world. And so we say today, and we say every day, Christ is King. Hallelujah. Amen.